I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, my guest is Gary Wood. At the young age of 31, Gary left a safe and secure job at a 40-person firm to become a business owner at CRC in his hometown of Ozark, Missouri. He's helped lead his firm through a transition from its co-founders to a second generation of leadership. Being born and raised in small-town middle America, Gary understands firsthand the importance of maintaining small-town values in business and supporting the community within which he operates. He brings those values to everything he does, and we're thrilled to hear more about his journey to date. Welcome, Gary Wood. Gary Wood, thank you so much for joining us today, and um, it's wonderful to uh, see you again. We're just reminiscing about the, the last time we caught up pre-COVID, right? Yeah, in Las Vegas and the St. Louis Blues were able to win the Stanley Cup first time ever, and you were gracious enough to, to join me and be the good luck charm to watch that happen. I do appreciate the hockey lessons. It's not something that Aussies grow up with natively, and it's very, very different to uh, cricket and footy, let me but uh, the, I think that's the finals, isn't it? <laughs> but how the Blue Jays go this year? Was it uh, tough going after their uh, win last year? It, it was tough going, yeah. So uh, 2019 was the the championship and then shortened season because of COVID in 20. And then this year, they weren't healthy and injuries and all that stuff. So uh, an early exit in the playoffs. And I I guess I blame you, Stuart, because we needed your good luck this year and we didn't have it. So Yeah, yeah, well, it wasn't, it wasn't there to, to cheer on the TV. We were in Las Vegas watching that and, you know, the world's changed dramatically since then. But um, you were telling me before, you, you're on the committee for um, Engage this year and what, what was sort of, oh, you, you know, you don't have to give away the secrets, of course, but I'm sure there was a discussion about, you know, the, the health and safety of, of uh, attendees and, and how how that very large conference, was it, you know, ten, tens of thousands of people are sort of going to come together. What, um, how did that sort of end up? Is there a hybrid kind of option that they're talking about or how's all that going to work? Yeah, I mean, so that was, you know, when you and I were together at that conference, it was 2019 and then COVID and then 20, you know, in the year of 2020, the year of COVID, it was a virtual conference, which is, which is the profession's national conference. Um, it basically took a lot of conferences that were facilitated by AICPA and, and merged them into one premier national conference. And so that conference was virtual during the COVID year. And, you know, a lot of feedback from the profession that the in-person networking, just like you and I were doing, you know, watching the Blues game down there, just that's what's so, I mean, 50% is the content in the conference, but the other 50% of the value of that conference is the networking with the profession and other people, similar firm size, similar positions. I mean, I can remember the first time I stepped out of my state to go to a national conference. And I mean, some of the trends and the issues that I was dealing with at my firm at that time, I felt like I was on an island trying to solve those issues. And then you step out into a national conference like that and you meet so many people and you realize, wow, I'm not on an island. There's other people that think like I do and see the profession the way that I do and see the world the way that I do. And it's just very motivating and inspiring. So there was a big push to, I mean, everyone wanted the in-person engage event, but obviously, like you said, health and safety concerns were taken very seriously 
And ultimately, yeah, I landed on a hybrid a hybrid conference for this year that'll be the end of next month in, in July. But I do think the data we've been seeing is um, very tilted towards in-person, both the presenters, speakers, the majority being in-person, and then the attendees being in-person as well. I think every, everybody's um, just dying to get back out and be a little bit social and uh, see everybody again, right? <laughs> Yeah, give a high five, give a hug, you know, it's just everybody's ready for it. Yeah, well, I mean, America's done, you know, for, from a terrible position last year, has done so well with vaccination, so I'm, I'm sure it'll go well. And um, we're, we're talking about, you know, the, the reason, obviously, with, with COVID last year, not only affected conferences, but uh, tax season as well. It's kind of felt like one, two and a half year long tax season for you guys, right? Yeah, it's been uh, been very difficult, um, just profession-wide. I mean, my involvement in the small firm community, I'm pretty active in the small firm community. I don't uh, know as much about the, modern, the medium and large size firm, but just a couple different networking things. I'm a part of, I'm part of a small firm, young owners networking group that we chartered through the AICPA. We've got about 20 members, uh, maybe under that, just under that. So we can't stay in, in touch. We meet two to three times a year, talk about trends and hot topics and trial and error things about software and things like that. And then I, I'm also a, a graduate of the AICPA Leadership Academy. We had the Leadership Academy alumni had a Slack channel going all through COVID and these past two tax seasons. That was the most valuable asset. Being a small firm leader, uh, our firm is 11 people you don't have the resources that the larger firms have. And so it, I think it puts uh, even more emphasis on small firm people, owners, team members to network so that you can get those resources outside of your four walls if you need to lean on those resources. So that Slack channel is very active and tremendously helpful to so many CPAs across the nation. Fairly active on Twitter too, networking on there too. And and basically, that the, between those three resources, my small networking group, my leadership academy, Slack channel, and then the Twitter feeds that I'm a part of, where I would have been lost. I would I would have been feeling even more burnout than I already was without those networking resources. You don't have to talk personally if you don't want to, but what, what was some of the common threads? What were they sort of saying? Um, you know, were the hardest the hardest parts? I have heard. You know, stories of, of accountants feeling like they're becoming psychologists more than they are accountants. Is, do you think it's along those lines or were there some other aspects of this difficult period? I think it was more just the legislative changes that were being introduced quickly, so quickly. I think a lot of the community took a great pride in feeling essential. I mean, we, we can obviously talk about the healthcare workers that were so essential, frontline healthline work healthcare workers being essential, but in the business community, so many of the economic relief programs that were being introduced through COVID, it really required working with a professional in an advisory relationship to get through some of those programs. I mean, I reflect back, obviously, PPP is an acronym that is now forever ingrained into our language, thanks to COVID and that Paycheck, Paycheck Protection Program, you know, that was kind of the first water hose that the profession was trying to navigate. And those those resources that I was talking about is what helped us all filter 
some of those legislative changes, filter it through all of us and, and kind of interpret and analyze what it means and how to do it and all the things that come along with that. So, I mean, you talk, that's, that was March, April 2020. You know, that's being rolled out. And then you had a, a phase two of PPP. And so I think it was a tough catch 22 for the profession because I think a lot of people were really inspired and motivated to be essential and help out in the business community in that way. And I would say the profession excelled very much so in that area of helping with PPP. But, you know, that was also in the middle of a tax season that that was rolled out. So you, you've got to, and we can talk about capacity today too, but, you know, you've got a, a season where you're at full capacity and then you get dumped this legislative change, this economic relief program that, requires your clients to use you to get it right. And so I think that contributed to some of the burnout that the profession is feeling just because it was a heavy, heavy tax season as well as that. And then we go forward through the year and you've got other, you know, the individual economic relief stuff like stimulus payments, creating questions for not just the business community, but just individual taxpayers and how they were getting their money and working with professionals to, to get through that. And then most recently, we've got this employee retention credit, which is another economic relief program that is through the IRS, through a tax credit program. And and again, all of these things are tremendously great things to for our economy and for this nation to keep things going. And the being being a big part of that in the CPA profession was incredibly motivating and inspiring. But it all happened and we're still servicing our client relationships with all the other things we're doing in a normal year. It it really contributed to a lot of burnout in the profession. It just was unsustainable. You know, CPAs were just feeling like they were on demand nonstop. And there was a there was a pressure there to help out. And and I've never I've never met a community of people that are bigger people pleasers than the accounting community. Like I I can remember, you know, asking people all the time, like, why did you become an accountant? Why? Or certainly on the public accounting side. I know that, you know, there's plenty of people on the private accounting side that may not connect with this. But on the public accounting side, it was like, why did you become a CPA in public practice? And it was like, I mean, the number one most common answer is I want to help people. And I was just like, you know, it makes you feel good to be a part of that community because that I think that they truly believe that. But I think because of that, we are also as a collective group of people we're really bad about saying no to people because we want to help everyone. And you can't say no, no to the IRS. <laughs> you can't say no to them, no. But, you know, it goes along with that cliche about um, if you want something done, find a busy man. I always am compelled by that cliche because it's like, wait a minute, you know, like if he's he or she's busy, how are they going to have time for you? But it's like if they're busy, it's because they're delivering on expectations and more people are asking things of them. And that's that that cliche, I think, sums up the accounting community because we wear our busy badges very big out on our chest. And I've never you never network with an accountant or CPA who's not busy. And it's kind of like a badge of honor for us to be busy. So the last 18 months have been busy and uh, unfortunately too busy for a lot of people. We, we hear 
that story around the world. You know, accountants in other countries were the distributor of, of emergency funds and job seeker and job keeper, I think, in Australia and, and UK had different things, New Zealand had different things. So I, I think what you're describing here is not is not uh, isolated to the US. We hear uh, common stories. And and as you point out, you know, like you, you got the IRS to, you know, try and understand the regulations that they're coming out with and sometimes, you know, I don't know if they understand them. And then, you know, you, you, you've got clients that um, perhaps are un- under duress or under stress, you know, from a financial perspective, depending on their industry, right? And, you know, a lot of the great accounts that I speak to, and I'll ask you, even even though some of them, their clients were in, uh, you know, some of the industries that were affected most, the carbon customer base, their accountants seem to be, you know, really proactive and their clients adjusted and changed pretty quickly to, to sort of cope with you know the the dramatic change in financial situation was that was that your experience how, how did your clients go i think for us it caught us at a fairly good time we have we have been right sizing our client base for a few years where we we've, we've just went deeper with our relationships with our clients instead of wider as far as having having more relationships and so i think that was just kind of a perfect synergy for what we had to do through the COVID world. I think if we would have been spread more wide with our client base, we would have felt more of what I sensed from the general accounting community, where you're helping a higher volume, higher number of people through some of these economic relief programs. And again, I can't say that we, no one predicted COVID. We had just already started that direct strategic direction of our, of our, client base anyways. So that's, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't a perfect storm for us. We still struggled through it, but I think we would have struggled more through it. I mean, again, I I was telling you earlier, we've been on a seven-year journey of transitioning our firm. It's a 30-year-old firm, but we're in the second generation of leadership now, and we're taking it in a different direction than it was the first 30 years. And so I think that that really helped us through through the COVID advisory advisement stuff that we were doing for our clients. You're, you're in the Ozarks. What, are most of your clients local? What, what sort of, what does your client base kind of consist of? Yeah, I'd say a fair amount. I mean, in the Southwest Missouri area, we do have, though we, we have expanded into more virtual services. So we do have clients in Texas and California and some of those places, but yeah, primor- primarily, Local, so the the virtual meeting thing was a change for us because most of our meetings were in person meetings with our with our clients. So it was a it was kind of you know a lot of people have referred to COVID as the great accelerator, and it did help us accelerate in something that had already kind of been on the back burner on the list, but we're really far down the list as far as strategic direction. It definitely helped uh, accelerate that to the top of the list. We, we've certainly seen that in a morbidly a bit. Carbon, you know, has, has uh, accelerated our growth dramatically since since COVID. You know, helping bring firms together. You're sort of coming out of you know two two hard years and and still very very successful. What's what, what's in the sort of medium term future for for you and CRC? We are really focused right now on client retention. We've done some studies on the cost of acquiring a new client versus the cost of retaining an existing good relationship. And 
one of the KPIs that we're tracking is our retention of our client, client base. And we're rolling out some communication tools where we can, one thing that we learned through COVID was like, you know, communication is everything. And we don't like the newsletter type of communication because it ends up, you know, being too broad and, and people become numb or calloused. If it's too general and it doesn't apply to them, you know, they just skip over and ignore it. So we are rolling out some communication tools. If you've looked at our branding at all, you know, we, we focus on this life cycle branding, which we segment our client base into these different phases of where they're at in the life cycle of their business. And then there's some generalities and some similar similarities into what they're going through. And so that's one thing I'm excited about that we're rolling out this year is more targeted communication and through it won't be it won't be just a general newsletter communication that goes to everybody. It'll be a targeted communication about something that directly applies to all the small businesses that have been, you know, segmented to this certain life cycle phase. So and again, that's where COVID became the great accelerator. That's already always been on the list. We've got a never-ending list of things we want to improve around the firm, but they don't always get voted to the top by the management team or the team in general. And so that was something communication, like improving our targeted communication was something that COVID helped us realize would be critically important the next time something, hopefully not that, not a pandemic, but like whether it be, legislative changes happening quickly. I mean, you listen to the media and, and you can hear a lot of legislative changes in the works. And we think it's going to be very important to be out in front of that so that we can engage through communication with our clients when those shoes start to drop. And we, we think we can do that with the way we've segmented our client base. Eleven's a great size firm. And, and you've been with your partners for for some time now, right? In in terms of sort of the firm structure and and how you balance family life amongst amongst your firm, to, to, I know you're a big, very passionate about um, you know work life balance and integrating uh, family and and work life. To, to tell me how you structure that for your firm and and you know some some thoughts about that. Yeah, so I am yeah more so passionate about it now as a as a new dad father of two. I've got a, a girl. I think I've been around the house um, too much. No, my Jessica and I are uh, more in love than we've ever been raising our kids. And so, yeah, I mean, it's super important to me. I love what I do. I was telling my wife last night, I mean, this is my first day, full day back to full capacity after my month leave. And I was telling her, you know, and she knows this, like, I love what I do. I absolutely love the work I do. I mean, the cliche of love what you do and you never go to work a day in your life connects with me. I love the clients. I mean, I've been fortunate over my 15 year career to kind of cherry pick a, a client base that it, it just, when you're, when you're working with them, it doesn't feel like work. And I feel very fortunate about that. So it is, and having a month to spend um, with my family has made it really hard to go back to work. And I was telling her that last night, just because she knows that's a huge compliment because she knows how much I love what I do. But no, I mean, as far as how that works in our culture, we, I mean, because we're a small firm, we don't have to budget in a tremendous amount of growth every year. I mean, when, when larger firms, and, and I started my career at a firm of 
of around 40 professionals. And the thing about those mid-sized firms and certainly those larger firms, there's like this pipeline to partner that happens. I mean, all the young professionals are in this pipeline to make it to partner. And that that's a great career goal. I mean, if you're in one of those big organizations, I think you should be inspired and motivated to get your seat at the table at some point. And all three of my, or all three of us, my two partners and I, you know, we worked in that environment of climbing the ladder, got frustrated with change management that, that happens at a firm of, of even that size of 40. You know, it's just hard to, to steer the ship uh, when change needs to happen. And so when we got together to lead this firm of 11, you know, we wanted to build, it's been my career journey, Stuart, to build a blueprint design a blueprint for small firms across the nation that whenever you get a CPA who's five years in or or eight years in like I was and realizes I'm not cut out for the large firm change management, I want to just go back to my hometown like I did and create a small firm culture that I'm proud of. That's deeply in my vision for my career is is I have been in pursuit of that blueprint since the day I started. And that's my passion. Like at the end of my career, I hope that I've been able to create that blueprint and provide that, you know, on a silver platter, give that to the next Gary Wood to go to their hometown in rural America, wherever that may be. And, you know, launch, launch a firm of, I think the sweet spot really is 15 or less because we've started the, conversation with architects even on like a new facility and the first question they ask is how big do you want to be and that's a really hard question for us because all three of the partners you know walked away from a firm of 40 so we we certainly don't want to grow into that and that's where i think that blueprint comes into play is like instead of growing our existing firm i think it'd be more meaningful to me to just provide that blueprint to the next young owner that wants to launch a firm and do that in, in some rural America town. 25, 30-year journey from, you know, intern to partner is is a very rare species these days. You know, like no, nobody wants to uh, – well, very, very few millennials want to get on that journey. I mean, it's uh, if you survive, I don't know, if, you, if, you, if your soul is still intact at the end of it, you know. Yeah. There's a paradigm happening in the profession where you where you've got – people that grew up under that model, like you're describing, Stu, and then you've got the next generation coming up that doesn't know what that model is and, and is looking up at that and going, <laughs> if that's, I can't even comprehend that. Like, if that's what life is supposed to look like, I don't want that, you know? And unfortunately, through the last 18 months, like, I, I know plenty of quality quality young CPAs that are leaving the profession as a result of some of the burnout over the last 18 months. We are, we're already, we already have a short pool of human capital resources for the profession. And, and, and in my opinion, we've drastically got to change our recruiting pitch as a profession because when I've spent time at universities, it, it appears that our recruiting pitch is we talk about busy seasons and tax seasons and season, season, season. And, you know, it's like, you know, work hard. That's our recruiting pitch. Like come to work with us and you'll work really hard and you'll love it. And 
And that's not what enticed me to get into the profession. I, I think we've got to get back to a recruiting pitch that, you know, being a CPA in the, in the United States will provide you a very nice life. And I remember that first national conference I went to, the chairman of the AICPA at that time was Rich Cotterano from the Northeast. And he had, the AICPA had put out a video, and this is, gosh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And they had put out a video where he was just, he was riding this really cool motorcycle, may have been a Harley, may have been something else. But he's riding a cool motorcycle. He's dressed really cool. It shows him interacting with his uh, family, barbecuing, maybe some surf and turf and some crab legs or something, you know, in a, in like a beach house condo. And it was all about, this is the accounting life. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, Hey, he grew up in a hard knock life where it was like everyone was turning wrenches or roofing houses. And then all of a sudden a CPA moved into his neighborhood and he, he told the story that like, this was the only guy in the neighborhood that didn't have to take a shower after work because like he had this nice, you know, career, career job and everyone else on the street was roofing houses or turning wrenches. And, I think we can we can take that message that was that that spoke to me 10 or 11 years ago because it can provide a nice life. And I think we were talking earlier about as people pleasers in, in the accounting profession, having a hard time of saying no. And I think that's where we've got to draw the line. Like it, it can be a nice life and you can, you know, have the beach house or, or the lake house from where I'm at and have do the crab legs thing for your family on a cookout or whatever. And it can be a nice life for you, but there's a, there's a, a thick bold line you have to draw there where it becomes a burnout life. You know, I think if you design it well, and that's what I hope my blueprint provides to small firm leaders is you can still have the nice life. You're not going to get, you're not going to be on shark tank. You're not going to make a gazillion dollars. You know, you're not going to get rich quick, but it, you don't become an accountant to be on TV. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I, that's the recruiting pitch that, that speaks to me is like, I, w- I want to have a nice life, but I don't want to work 5,000 hours a year, you know, and because I think that that recruiting pitch that, that spoke to me at that conference from Rich Cotterano, I think would speak to a lot of people. But if you're not intentional about and you had an article recently about the, you know, I think the McDonald's efficiency and in, in, like if you don't know who you want to be and what you want to do then quickly that dream will fade away and, you know, you'll be left with a career that you despise and that, that you're burned out. We, we see a very common theme, and I just want to dig into it a little bit. You know, you say you love helping people. If you take that one step further, what we see time and time and time again, and, and kind of, you know, I, I really relate to it because I, I, I think building software for an industry is, is kind of similar. We love seeing your success. Yes, we're helping you, but but we love seeing, you know, you become a successful firm, you being able to build and design and, and you know, deliberately construct a, a great life for you and your family. And when we speak to accountants, they just love seeing, you know, those relationships. You, you've had relationships with some of your clients for over 15, 20 years. You love seeing those those clients become successful. Does that resonate? Yes, very much like with the birth of my son, he's six weeks old. I, I can tell you, like, I, I was able to mail a birth announcement to all my clients and like just that person, that humanizing, you know, 
like if I had a thousand clients, you know, it's probably not very practical. If I, it, like in the deep versus wide conversation on client base, like, I, you know, I can't have that personalized relationship with that high volume of clients, but I can have that type of relationship. And so, yeah, personalizing that relationship, but also, yeah, in their, in their businesses, I mean, that's the greatest part about being in public practice, in my opinion, is you get to live alongside these people in their journeys and hopefully provide some advisement along the way that helps them get to where they want to go. Yeah, we just launched a video to, t- to tell the story of, of what our life cycle plans are all about on our on our homepage. And, and we talk about in that storyline, our favorite thing to do is to start with someone in phase one of their life cycle in their business, like literally help them launch the company and then be along for that journey until they get to one of the more mature phases in their business. And I have so many of those relationships that I'm so proud of that those are the relationships where it doesn't feel like work, you know, because I feel like I've been a part of that. Your marketing, your messaging, your branding is looking fantastic. Congratulations on on all of that. I'm, I'm sure it, it generates probably exactly the right type of, you know, inquiry from new clients that, that you desire. It, it probably has that effect. Yeah, I think what it does for us, we actually recently received a pretty powerful testimony about our onboarding process. And it was a small business owner shopping for CPA services, which is is not something very fun to shop for. It's not <laughs> like shopping for a new te- a new Tesla or new iPhone or even an, a new refrigerator for that matter. It's just because everyone's approach to selling their services is different. And so if you put yourself in the consumer's shoes when they're trying to buy services, the testimony that we got from a prospect was everyone else they met with kind of sat back in their seat and said, we can do whatever you need us to do. You just tell us what you need us to do. Well, that puts the buying decision on the client and they're coming to you as the professional. Like, I don't know what I need. I need you to tell me what I need. They don't know, do they need payroll services or do they not need payroll services or do they, what's their tech stack going to look like? And, you know, there's so much around, around that. So, I mean, we go through an extensive interview process, but so many of our onboarding interview questions are qualitative and and less quantitative and and kind of goes through a rubric of factors that we've designed and it helps us put them into a life cycle phase of where they're at in their business. And once we know where we feel they're at in their life cycle, then we tell them, here's the service plan that we've designed for you. And it's all on a flat rate monthly billing. And, And I think it, it helps the buying decision. I've talked with a lot of CPAs that do proposals for clients or whatever, or meet with new prospects, but then the conversation goes stale because I think everything's put back on the prospect to decide, you know, out of these a la carte type of services, what they want. And I think our, our approach to that is we're going to dictate that. And that was the testimony we provided. They said, of all the people we interviewed, you were the only firm that provided a bundled service plan of everything I needed. You didn't ask me as the consumer or client what I what I wanted. You guys were the professionals and you told me what I would need based on where I was at in my business. And they appreciated that. You talked a bit about, you know, wanting a, a you know, being very deliberate about firm design and organizational structure and and building the, the family balance in into that as well. 
can you see yourself, you know, and your your partners being there for your clients over the next five, ten years? What's what's your long term outlook, Gary? I want to design that blueprint and have that blueprint of how to run a small firm in rural America available. I mean, that would be the most meaningful thing that I in in the circle of life that I feel like I could provide back to someone is to take all of the blood, sweat, and tears that I've put into designing a small firm and help them leapfrog all of the pain points that I experienced along the way. You know, there was just a time in my life where, it, it, you know, I couldn't have had this podcast with you and sang near as rosy of, as a tune. So I'm very proud of that. I mean, that, but that came through trial and error and me and my partners having hard conversations and making hard decisions. We, we would always say that, you know, it was never, we never got to make the decision between good and bad. Those are the, those are easy decisions to make. Like those don't roll up to leadership. If it's the, it's the decision between bad and worse, you know, like we're trying to make this and we had to make some of those decisions along the way and they weren't easy and it hasn't been easy and it hasn't been quick. And everyone in this society wants everything quick. And so, that would be my journey is is I'd love to have that blueprint and, and find the next Gary Wood Jr. And, and say, you know, if this is something that interests you and you want to do this, then here's the blueprint that I learned the hard way. And, and you can just watch it. We, we, we would love to work on that with you. And uh, if, if you ever, uh, you know, so desire and, and uh, you know, we, we've learned a thing or two along the way in this industry. So if, if we can assist We'd love to do that. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, you guys have been a hub through so much of the journey. And after the reveal of the future vision last night, super excited about continuing that journey with you guys because you're you're doing the right things that helps support our vision for what we want to do. No, we appreciate that. And and Gary, you know, we, we appreciate your support. We we love working with you. I, I, I love seeing uh you know, you, you come out of this um, this difficult period for accountants, uh, Rosie, and, and shining, and 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 helping your clients, you know, be successful. And you know, you, your success means a lot to us, and and your uh, support over the years is, you know, hugely appreciated. We, um, we we love working with with such wonderful people, and you know, particularly people like yourself that that want to contribute so much to the industry and do contribute so much to the industry. I, I, you know, admire that, and, and you're an inspiration to many, many of your peers. And uh, you know, we, we we just can't thank you enough for for being part of our journey as well. Yeah, appreciate that, Stu. And back at you, man. Thanks for um, like I told you, accelerating the the accounting profession. The the tools that you provide is is the tools that the profession needs to have this blueprint that I'm that I'm trying to design. I've taken up uh, too much of your time already. Gary Wood, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we, uh, we look forward to catching up in person in the not too distant future. Very much. Absolutely, Stu. Keep uh, fighting the good fight for firms across uh, the nation and, and I'll keep doing the same. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com/resources.
I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.